I'll also check out any nearby homes, particularly if they're under construction, you know, just to see, you know, what kind of homes are around there. And, and you'll find a lot of times that whatever home is there, a lot of times that's the kind of tenant that'll be in the neighboring apartment community. So, you know, it's always nice to check that out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science. But it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world actually invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives, and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman, broadcasting from California. And today I have a very, very special guest on the show that I know very well, Mark Gleason. So Mark, he's actually the acquisition director at Blue Lake Capital and he oversees the entire acquisition process. He's an experienced multifamily finance professional with over 15 years of experience of real estate finance acquisitions and development. And over the past 15 years, Mark has underwritten and closed over $2 billion in multifamily real estate transactions. And before he joined us, he actually served as the VP of finance for a national apartment owner and operator with 56,000 units under management. And today we're going to host him, you know, on the show, we're going to talk about multifamily, talk about the market, the acquisition process. So it's going to be a pretty exciting episode today. How are you doing, Mark? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks for that great introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So Mark and I have been working closely for quite a while now on deals and underwriting, and we've gone through the different changes in the market. And, you know, I would love to, before we dive into the asset process and strategy, I would love to hear from you, Mark, you know, a little bit about your background and how you found yourself in real estate. Sure. You know, I started in real estate not long after the tech bubble burst, you know, <laughs> initially when I went to college, you know, I wanted to be more on the, you know, equity investment side and the tech bubble burst and all those jobs kind of dried up. And I found myself working for an, a mortgage investment bank doing loans with insurance companies. And from there, you know, I really got into real estate. I was lucky enough to be mentored by some really great people and learn real estate finance at a very early age. And, you know, all about the ins and outs of prepayment penalties and every kind of feature you could pretty much see on a loan. I was exposed to pretty early. And from there, I got my, you know, jump into acquisitions with my next position at GMH Communities Trust. 
and from there, I've just, you know, stayed in acquisitions ever since. Yeah. And I can tell you that Mark, you know, every time we talk about debt and finance and that part of the underwriting, I feel very humbled because he is so knowledgeable and so smart when it comes to, you know, tweaking the numbers and understanding what's going on, you know, in the debt environment and how that is impacting the way we underwrite deals, what's the maximum price we can offer for a deal. But yeah, well, thank you for sharing your background with us. I would love to jump into the asset part of our conversation. And, you know, at Blue Lake, we're mainly focused on multifamily. We're expanding beyond that to industrial and, and other types of real estate, but I want to keep the conversation focused on multifamily. If you can share with us the highlights of and the strength of multifamily as an investment vehicle and an asset class, especially in today's market, what are kind of the the benefits of investing in multifamily? And then also what are the challenges that we are dealing with, especially lately when it comes to finding the right deal? Sure, sure. Well, the benefits of multifamily is, is really just its timelessness. And COVID has really brought that out. You know, now as people are starting to work from home at a much higher rate than they used to, all of a sudden there's office buildings that are beautiful, but they're starting to become more and more vacant as time goes on. However, everyone always needs a place to live in the U.S. And it's been tough to purchase a home, especially recently, because home prices have shot up so very, very much. And apartments have just been very much in demand and very, you know, bankable and a steady investment as of late. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that we have been dealing with is just how popular multifamily became in the recent you know, years. It's so popular. Everybody wants at least one foot in the pool when it comes to multifamily. So, And the pool is crowded. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is definitely a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that help us get deals, and I talked about it before, was first and foremost track record when, you know, we've worked with brokers, we've closed deals before, and the sellers know that if they pick us, surety of closing is very high. We put a very high deposit that becomes non-refundable pretty early. So we're willing to take the chance and not everyone is willing to do it. And of course, when we walk assets, we see things that perhaps other companies and other investors don't. And we creatively add this to our underwriting. And that helps us basically when we're looking at the price we can pay, we understand there's income that can be generated from other sources that many, you know, and maybe other investors don't see and don't think about. But it's definitely challenging to find a deal. We're very, very selective. Most deals I don't even see because Mark, you know, reviews everything, all the deals that are coming to his desk. And most of them just don't pencil out. They're way too aggressive. The price is too high or it's in the wrong part of town. That's actually a good segue to talk about the process, the acquisitions process. So if you don't mind sharing with the audience, you know, what the acquisition process looks like at Blue Lake and how many kind of deals, if you can assess, you're looking at every month. Sure, sure. Well, 
you know, I think it's important to start from a top-down analysis, meaning that you're focusing more on the macro issues first, and then more and more and more as, as the process goes along, you're focusing more and more on the property. So the first thing, you know, that we look at are demographics of the area of the property that we're looking at, just to qualify it first, whether it's something we want to spend a lot of time on. If we find out that, for instance, the median income isn't quite impressive and there's a lot of crime or poverty or unemployment, that's one that we probably might not even spend too much time on. So we want to kind of pre-qualify the deal by the area it's in before moving on in the process. And after that, I'll have a conversation with the broker to understand what the investment story is at the property and to make sure that it fits in with what we're trying to do to understand the upgrade potential of the property and what the business plan might be. After that, we'll run our you know, initial financial model and see how returns shake out. Assuming everything looks good or looks like it has some promise, nothing ever pencils the first time. You usually got to look a little bit to find a good deal, but you should have some indication of if, if you're close. You know, it shouldn't run all negative on you. It should be something that you think, okay, there could be something here. After that, you have to verify the taxes, which is so important in this market because it's your biggest line item expense. And often there's a big tax reset post acquisition. So you don't want to be surprised by that. And then we'll we'll have our property manager tour the property along with us to just verify that there's nothing in there, particularly from a CapEx perspective that we're going to be surprised on. You know, sometimes we're out there, we'll find out, hey, you know, it could be something like balconies. When you go out there, they, you know, they kind of spring that on you. Oh, by the way, this property has a balcony issue and you may have to rebuild some of them, et cetera, et cetera. You want to get in front of that before, obviously, you make your offer. So after you tour the property, you have all your numbers wrapped together that you think you know, you're know you going to run with, then you run it by your debt consultants to make sure you're getting the most competitive debt out there and the most competitive structure that works for your return parameters. After that, we submit the offer. Hopefully, we're in a best and final conversation. We have a call and hopefully we're awarded the deal. Yeah, and it's a very detailed and kind of long process. So we're not in a rush to make any offers. I always say that, you know, I like to do a lot of the work up front and a lot of the due diligence up front. So we don't get, like you said, surprised because what happens if there's a group or an investor that want to get the deal, they're, you know, in a hurry to place a very competitive bid. And then once the deal is awarded, then they put more emphasis on the due diligence. And many times they come back and try to retrade because there were some things they haven't looked at that all of a sudden kind of emerged. And it's never a position you want to be at, either as a seller or a buyer. Especially in this competitive market, you know, yep. there's, really not, there's really not a place for that, you know, anymore Yep. on a quality property. So Exactly. Exactly. Because then it's going to be extremely hard for you. It's already hard to find deals. It's going to be extremely hard if you retraded or you know, decided not to move forward after the deal was awarded to you. So about, was it two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, Mark and I were walking properties in Atlanta together. And it's always fun to see, you know, assets and to walk assets and to come up with really creative ideas on what to do with it. Can you share with our listeners when you walk a property what are the things that you're looking for and you're looking at when you do that? Sure, sure. 
The first thing I try to do, if schedule allows, of course, and if I don't do it before, I'll do it after. But I like to get there a little bit early. And I like to drive the entire property all the way around because you'll find the, the tour that you're taking on is very scripted and it's designed to show you certain buildings, certain units and not, you know, maybe not others. So it's always nice to drive the whole grounds just to see the whole property. And then after I do that, I'll, I'll go up and down the main artery that the property sits on about a mile or so in each direction, see what kind of comps there are. I always stop by the retail, make sure it's not vacant. Sometimes that's hard to tell from the street. You got to kind of drive up a little closer, see what kind of retail it is. Is it, you know, more functional retail? Is it luxury retail? Are there more sole proprietorships there? Or are there more, you know, credit tenants there? And that gives you a good feel for the area. Before you, you know, I like to, like I said, I like to do it before I even, you know, tour the asset. I'll also check out any nearby homes, particularly if they're under construction, you know, just to see, you know, what kind of homes are around there. And, and you'll find that a lot of times that whatever home is there, a lot of times that's the kind of tenant that'll be in the neighboring apartment community. So, you know, it's always nice to check that out. And during the tour, I always like when I give you access to the manager. You know, Ellie knows from a lot of experience that sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's great when they let the manager join because I would say at least 50% of the time, they may not be staying with the property and they're trying to make a good impression on you. And they're trying to, they'll pretty much shoot you pretty straight, especially if they know they want to stick with the property and, and you might be the new owner. You can get a lot of great information, insightful information on the operations there, what works, what doesn't, delinquency, who the main competitors are, who they're not, and what they would like to do with the property. It's always nice to hear a third-party perspective when it comes to that. And after that, we'll take a hard look at all the amenities there. I always like to know when the last time they were refurbished, particularly if they look tired. So we'll know what we'd like to do should we win the property. And then, you know, the main Focus, of course, is always the interior of the units where we're probably, you know, implementing a value add strategy where we're spending, you know, between eight to $12,000 in the unit. So you want to make sure you get a good look at the unit. I always take lots, lots of pictures. Can't take enough pictures. On <laughs> <I always take. laughs> That's right. That's right. Can't take enough because you're always going to forget something. And it's nice to have a nice roll of photos to go back to. So, you know, take a bunch of pictures and verify what the current scope is throughout the property and also verify what you want to bring to the property in your renovation. Those are the main, I would say, you know, items on a tour that I always look for. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting that you've mentioned the property manager that has been managing the property because sometimes we hear kind of different versions of different stories from the broker who is trying to make sure that, you know, the property is presented the best way. And then you ask the property manager, you know, how many evictions do you have right now? What's the bad debt situation? Do you offer any concessions? And they'll know because things also change on a daily basis. And sometimes the brokers even don't know what's the real situation is. And so it's, it's very, very interesting to see. And I always observe how they respond to questions. And you see if they're hesitant before the answer, if they're confident, if they're like, there's a big sigh before they answer, it means that they've been dealing with some issues there. And it might be a red flag or it could be a mis, you know, mismanaged, not necessarily something that you know is a negative indicator. But it's really, really insightful to actually 
walk the asset with the property manager. And you've mentioned looking at the units and creating a scope for renovation, whether it's usually we do stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, new or refurbished cabinetry, faux wood flooring. Part of also what we do, we actually call each and every competitor within one to five mile radius. And then we ask them how much they're charging for premiums for renovated units and what their scope. So we know what the area can support in terms of rent growth and premiums. And we compare it to our property and basically say, okay, this property is, let's say, a twenty per square foot, but the average is a dollar seventy if you know for the renovated units. So we know that there's a room to grow rents if we renovate the units. And sometimes, you know, if we see that the worst thing is that if you buy an older property or property that needs to be updated and it's already at the top of the market. So you can't really grow rents from there. And doing the market survey is really going to help understanding, you know, the landscape and what we can or cannot do with the property. Because everyone wants to live in a nice apartment, but, you know, there's a limit to how much you can basically charge for a premium. And that really depends also on the population and the comps, many variables around that. I want to kind of shift our conversation and talk a little bit about the strategy. And, you know, we're focused, mainly focused on value add. And now we're sort of looking into core plus. Can you talk to me a little bit about kind of the, the main differences between core, core plus and value add when it comes to multifamily? Sure, sure. So when people talk about a core deal, they're pretty much talking about, you know, probably the nicest properties in the marketplace. A lot of times this will be new construction, really close to an urban center. Typically buyers who pursue these type of assets will use lower leverage. Of course, there's nothing written in stone, but, you know, on average, they'll use some lower leverage. They'll have a longer hold period. A lot of times, you know, people who pursue these properties have a 10-year time horizon. They'll put about 65% leverage on it. And they won't try and, of course, everyone's going to try and raise rents as much as they can. That's just, you know, that's just the business. But they're not going to change the, you know, they're not going to renovate the units. They're not going to do too much there. They're pretty much buying a nice new finished product. They're going to hold it for 10 years and then they'll sell it at that time. At the other end of the spectrum is what we do, which is where we're going in. And it doesn't have to be a tremendously older asset. You know, I think a lot of our best acquisitions have been, you know, 2000, between between 2000 and 2010, a lot of properties out there who constructed, even though the, the property itself is great, there's a lot to be done in the units. They don't really translate to the styles and, and things that people expect today, like granite countertops and things like that. So value add, we're spending, you know, like I said, between eight and $12,000 a unit. We're going to come in and we're going to put that granite countertop in or quartz. We're going to make the cabinets, you know, the white stylish cabinets that you see today in new construction. And we're going to try and renovate every property we can, elevate the rents, and then get out within three to five years at a higher return than someone who bought a core property. It would, you know, we'll look for project level returns between 15 and 18%. And in the middle is core plus, which is a little bit of both. You know, typically will be a nicer asset. 
there'll be something to do, but it might not, it pro, it's definitely not going to be $12,000 plus per unit. It's usually going to be about five or 6,000 a unit. And it may not even be that much in the units. It may be that the amenities have just, you know, maybe we're poorly selected, or poorly designed, and you're going to, you know, update the amenities to compete with some of the newer properties out there. And though that time horizon can be anywhere between a five and seven year hold. And, and the returns will generally be at somewhere in between the, the core and value add returns. And there I would say leverage is really up to the buyer. You know, I don't think there's a fixed leverage point in, in core plus. It depends on what works for, you know, whoever's acquiring the property. You're not really limited in that perspective. Yep. And in today's environment, especially when now interest rates are starting to increase, which would be your favorite strategy between core, core plus and value add? Well, I mean, they all have their place. I like value add a lot. I like what we do, especially in those areas where, you know, we're buying a property, you know, age 2000 and forward, because with just a little bit of renovation, you know, I think you can find that you compete a lot with with a lot of the more ex- expensive to build newer construction out there and really, you know, do well for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it was interesting to see some movements in the market. There were institutions that historically were not willing to consider value add. And now they are because the returns have kind of compressed and they're lower over time. So if they could get away with a core deal, now the returns are you know, much lower than core plus or value add. So you see more large players that are willing to put in the, the work and the effort into turning the unit into something you know, nicer and more desirable because they want to capture the extra yield. So that's kind of an interesting you know, transition that I've seen in the market in the, in the last several years. I would say when it comes to you know, the pros and cons, the main pro is the value add is usually, if executed right, presents the highest returns out of the three asset classes or three strategies. When it comes to cons, I mean, the main disadvantage is that if there's always the the risk that you're going to renovate and spend the money and will not be able to raise rents, which is why I don't like to evict everyone and renovate the entire property. We do it in tranches. We do it, you know, we pick five or 10, we renovate and we see how the market reacts. And then we adjust based on what the market is telling us. Any other main pros or cons when it comes to value add that you can think of? No, I would say what you just said was an excellent point. If you're in the value add business, you have to be flexible. Everybody has a great plan. You know, then the game starts and sometimes you have to change it, which happens all the time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So it's definitely an interesting time to be in multifamily right now. But yeah, you need to pivot. You need to change the way you look at returns, how the debt is structured, what kind of partners you're going to go in in the deal and and what is the value and how much are you going to allocate. These things kind of change are never the same. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for spending the last, I think, 25 minutes with me. And we've arrived to the part that I call the lightning round questions, quick questions that I ask all my guests. And the first one is, what's your favorite hobby? I would say I haven't done it in quite some time. And I'm just, I'm going to go out for the first time next week. Is I generally like to, to play golf. 
I used to spend a lot more weekends, especially before COVID, playing golf. I'm looking to get into that a little bit more. And I also, you know, spend a lot of time on the weekends watching my kids' sports, you know. <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully the weather is going to get a bit better so you can golf. <laughs> That's awesome. But what's the one thing that people don't know about you? I would say, you know, in our business, you know, sometimes you're not afforded the time to do some things that you'd like to do. But I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to coach my daughter's softball team. And I just, I really, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was a one year stint, but it was very, very memorable year for me. So that, that's one thing that people may not know. That's awesome. Mark, what book are you currently reading or read, you know, recently that kind of impacted you or, you know, left its mark on you that you would like to share with us? Sure. Yeah, this was a book that I, I can't say I'm reading it currently, but I had read it, I don't know, about a year or so ago. And I was on one of my friend's desk and they had never read it. And, and I <laughs> said, hey, you know what? This looks interesting. You mind if I take it? And he goes, oh, go ahead. Someone gave it to me and I never read it. It's a book that a lot of people have read in the business community called How to Win Friends and Influence People. I found it very, very interesting because, you know, you can have the best ideas in the world, but if you can't convey them to people, then sometimes it really doesn't matter. And, you know, I never really read a book like that before. And some of the things in there kind of stuck with me. Yeah. If you haven't read it, guys, it's a great book. I totally agree. That's one of the most memorable books that I've read. And I like to take notes and I took some notes kind of summaries and I go back to the notes every time to remind me of the main points of the book. It's such a great book. So last question, Mark, is what's your advice for living an extraordinary life? Because this is what, in my opinion, it's all about living life to the fullest, living extraordinary life. What would you say? I would just say, keep your eye out for opportunities because, you know, sometimes we don't get a lot of them and you just got to recognize them when they come along. All right. Very nice kind of summary of our discussion goes back to kind of everything we discussed today. Mark, I want to thank you again for your time. I know you're extremely busy and you probably have, you know, 50 other deals to look at right now that are waiting on your desk. So that was fun for me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, this was great. Thank you. It's great being here. All right, guys, that's it for today. If you like to speak with my team about investing in multifamily, be sure to complete our new investor form at bluelake-capital.com. And until then, be bold, be great, and create your own kind of extraordinary life. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.